Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today online. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our Instagram, or you can go to our website at heightschurch.org connect. Thank you for joining us. Amen. You know, when you compromise God's word, it does not bring you closer to God, but it actually puts you at opposition with God. So when you compromise the word of God in your life, it puts you in direct opposition to God. You know, when we think about our lives, there's often times that we want to shape and form God to be who we want God to be. We think that sometimes Scripture ought to adjust to our thoughts, our beliefs, and culture. But actually what the Bible tells you is it's us that we are the ones that have to adjust. We are the ones that have to correct ourselves and line ourselves up with the authority of God's Word. See, if you and I attempt to make God into who we want Him to be, you and I attempt to make God into how we want God to operate in our lives, how we think God should operate and in, in, in what things He should say and not say to us, then what we actually have is not the God of the Bible, but an idol in which we make. And here's the thing about an idol. If you make an idol in your life, an idol never pushes back. An idol never corrects you. An idol is something that you think is really serving you, but you are actually serving the idol because the idol is going to demand more and more out of your life. See, compromising God's word is going to put you in direct opposition to God. We are in this series, if you're new with us, called Flickering Lamps. We've been moving through the first three chapters in the book of Revelation, and we've just been going church by church. And what we've said is why we called it Flickering Lamps is because Jesus in chapter 1 says these seven historical churches that once existed in our lifetime or in a period of time were actually lampstands. And that's what he calls churches. That's what he calls Christians were lampstands. And that takes us back to the Old Testament where in the temple there is a lampstand that has seven prongs to it and seven small oil lamps on that lampstand. It was the job of the priest to make sure that the light never Never went out. And that light, Jesus says in the New Testament, is us, it's the church, it's Christians. We are the light of the world. And what we've been saying in our series is essentially this that when you take your focus off of Jesus, that your light is no longer burning bright, but now is beginning to flicker. It's starting to flicker, it's starting to dim. And what you're going to learn out of the church of Pergamon this morning is essentially this when you compromise, your faith. When you compromise to the Word of God, it puts you in opposition with God. It doesn't bring you closer to Him. Let me introduce you to the church of Pergamum. It's found in Revelation chapter 2. If you've got a Bible with you today, you want to access that. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. The city of Pergamum is the capital city of the Roman Empire in the province of Asia. So it's uh, right now modern-day Turkey, if you kind of think about it that way. This is a very important city. This would be kind of the Washington, D.C. of the time. The city of Pergamum is full of Roman temples given over to different uh, you know, Roman gods and goddesses, the largest temple being Zeus, and Zeus means savior. And so this is a city kind of given over to idols. This is a city full of worshiping false gods. But what's also interesting about the people of Pergamum is this is a very patriotic city. 
This is a city of people that love the empire. They love Caesar. They love their government. This is the first city to actually build a temple dedicated to Caesar himself. So there's a lot of, yes, idol worshiping of false gods, but there's a lot of governmental worshiping in Pergamum. And the word Pergamum is actually very interesting in the Greek. It means to marry together. Right, so stop and think about it. This is Christians in this church that are trying to marry together their sin and their faith. This is Christians in this church that are compromising their faith and the word of God to marry together their sin and their faith, their ideals of the way culture should operate and what the word of God should say. And so let me introduce you more to the church, and let's see what Jesus has to say about the church of Pergamum, the compromising church. We pick up in verse 12, and John writes this, And to the angel of the church in the church of Pergamum write, These words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. John in verse 12 identifies to you that the one giving these words is not John himself, but it is Jesus. It is Jesus. These are the words of him who have a sharp two-edged sword. So these are the words of Jesus given to John. He writes it down. It circulates out through the seven churches. What John often does when he starts the letter out to a new church, he picks up on some of the imagery of the vision he saw of Jesus in chapter 1. So in chapter 1, when John had the heavenly vision of the resurrected, glorified Christ, one of the descriptions he gave of Jesus was this is the one who has a sharp, two-edged sword that is proceeding from his mouth. Other verses in the New Testament is going to tell us that that is a reference to the Word of God. And if this is God's Word, that I believe this is God's Word, then we have to say this Word is true. This Word is trustworthy. This word is inerrant. This word is infallible. This word is without error. This is his word. And do I stand alone in that together today, or are there others who say amen to that? I mean, this is his word. That's what John is saying. That verse 12, these are the words of Christ. So it's kind of telling the church, hey, pay attention. Sit up straight, right? Wake up. Look. And notice he's saying that these are living words. This is sharper than two-edged sword. See, understand the way the Word of God works in your life as a Christian is what the Word does often to us is it cuts us and it cures us. It hurts us and it heals us. I mean, think about it this way. In a room full of this size, some of you have had some surgeries in your life. And you know a surgeon in order to get inside of you to repair something that needs to be repaired on the inside has to make an incision on the outside. He has to cut open your knee in order to get into your knee to repair the damaged ligament. He has to cut to cure. He has to hurt you in order to heal you. And this is what the Word of God does to us as well. It identifies sin in our lives, and not only does it identify sin in our life, it gives us the answer to that sin, and that's Jesus. I love what Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, the Word of God is living, and it's active. It's sharper than two, any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so Jesus is saying these words to this church. And notice in verse 13 what he says to them. He says, I know where you dwell. 
where Satan's throne is. You know, I, I love that verse right there. I love where you dwell, right? Jesus is saying, I know where you are today, Heights Baptist Church, positionally right now, right? I know where you dwell right now at 11, 11 p.m. on this date, I know Jesus says where you will be dwelling later today, about six o'clock, as the Astros sweep the Yankees. Amen? Right? So Jesus is saying, yeah, sorry, Yankees fans, it's okay. Yankees fans, we'll pray for a calm wind today. Okay? We'll just pray that it's even when both teams come to bat and no wind will be blowing. But Jesus is saying, I know where you dwell. And where does he say they dwell? Where Satan's throne is, right? Like, now, I I don't know about you, but before you, I I buy a house, you always research the neighborhood, yeah? Before you buy a house, you want to kind of look around the neighborhood. What's the neighborhood like? What's the city like? Because one of the major rules in real estate is what? Location, location, location. Look at where Jesus says you guys are living, where Satan's throne dwells. Did you guys do your homework before you moved to Pergamum? <laughs> what, what's that location like? What does that mean? Here's what that means. It means this. They are living in a time and a place that's given over to all kinds of idols. There's all kinds of shrines around. There's all kinds of worship of other deities and gods happening. Like I said earlier, this is a people that are so patriotic, they have even built a temple to Caesar to worship him. So these are Christians in this church in this area that are mixing their patriotism and their religion together. They're mixing their patriotism and their Christianity together in a very unhealthy way. Now understand this. It is okay to be patriotic. It is okay to vote. It is okay to be a part of that political process. Right? To be good citizens, we need to do those things. The Bible tells us to pray for your leaders in your government, whether you voted for them or not, whether you like them or, they, or you don't. Like, this is what we do as Christians. But there is a line we can cross as Christians where if we mix our patriotism and our Christianity in such a way that is, is unhealthy, then we have crossed into the line of sin. We've crossed into the line of compromising. And this is the Christians in Pergamum. This is one of the things they're struggling with. Because you had some of the Christians who go, yeah, privately I can worship Jesus and that's okay. But when I get out in public, I worship Caesar. And so you have this unhealthy mixing of patriotism and worship of God. So let me ask you just some questions today. I'm just going to ask the questions. I'm going to put them in your lap because I wonder how many Christians are struggling with this today. How many, not only just in America, but here in Heights Baptist Church today are marrying together their patriotism and love for Jesus in an unhealthy way? How many Christians in America today and in Heights Baptist Church are marrying together their love for a political leader and their love for Jesus in an unhealthy way? How many people in America and in Heights Baptist Church today are equating, I vote for this political party, therefore I'm a Christian? 
How many in America today, and those in Heights Baptist Church, don't get mad at me, I'm just asking questions, okay? I'm just asking the question. How many in America and in Heights Baptist Church today are saying you can only be a good citizen and a good Christian if you vote only for one party? How many are marrying together their love of a country and their love of a Savior in an unhealthy way? How far removed are we from the people of Pergamum? Jesus says, not all of you are struggling with that, though. Because he says in verse 13, yes, I, I know where Satan's throne is. But not all of you are struggling with this because he says some of you, verse 13, you hold fast my name. You didn't deny my faith. Even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan's throne dwells. The Antipas is brought up here and we don't know really anything about Antipas much through church history. It's pretty silent on him. It's the only mention of him in scripture. Church tradition puts him as the pastor of Pergamos, but he is killed, we know, under the reign of dimension and tradition has, he is boiled in, the, in a bronze bull for his faith. So, so Jesus is saying, listen, there's some of you that are compromising. There are some of you that are not compromising. But notice the ones that are compromising, he now points out another sin in which they're struggling with. He says, but I have a few things against you, verse 14. You have some that hold to the teachings of Balaam. Okay, so not all in the church, but you have some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. You have some, not all, who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitanians. That word's Balak and Balaam. He's taking you back to a, uh, what happened in Numbers chapter 22 through 25. Balak was the king. Balaam was the prophet. So Balak hires Balaam, who is a prophet of God, to go out and to curse the people of Israel instead of bless the people of Israel. So when Balaam goes out and does that, this leads the people of Israel to eat food sacrificed to idols and have inappropriate sexual relationships with the women of Moab. And out of the consequence of that, 45,000 people are judged by God and they're killed. And so Jesus is saying, there are some of you in this church that are doing it right. You're holding up the word of God, but now there's some of you in the church that's compromising the word of God and you're following those teachings. You're sacrificing to idols in your life, and you're having inappropriate relationships with a person of an opposite sex. And so Jesus is showing, listen, guys, this is the sin we have to deal with. He also mentions the sin of the Nicolaitanians. We met Nicolaitanians up in chapter uh, 2 with the church of Ephesus. Nicholas was one of the first deacons in Acts chapter 6. Nicholas then went apostate some point in his life, started teaching cult-like practices that you didn't need Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. It didn't matter what you did in your life. You just go out and fulfill whatever desire you want to fulfill. If it feels good to you, then it must be right, was his teaching. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar today? Man, if it feels good, it's got to be right. As long as it feels good to me, then it's got to be true, right? I mean, how, again, far removed are we from the people of Pergamum? 
Because you have to understand, when you compromise God's word, it doesn't bring you closer in a relationship. It puts you in direct opposition with God. Because when you compromise his word and you follow an ethic of, I'll just do what I want to do because it feels right and I'm my own standard of truth and I'm my own standard of right and wrong, then you're not worshiping the God of the Bible anymore. You're worshiping a God of your own making. And that's what Jesus is saying. Guys, I have this against you. You've compromised my word in this way. But I love the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus always gives a chance of repentance. Jesus always, before he pronounces judgment, says, I'm going to give you a shot to get it right. right? He is a Savior that wants to save. He's a Savior who says, let's get this right. Let's get back on the same page. Let's have fellowship again. So he says in verse 16, therefore, repent. The word repent means to do a 180. It's a military term that means to do an about face. So Jesus is saying, these are teachings you weren't were following. Now turn around and come back to me. Right? So it's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of action. Sometimes when you and I sin, we come to God and we say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I, I, you know, I won't ever do that again. If you just forgive me this one time, I promise I won't ever do it. We'll change our mind in that moment. We'll try to start changing our heart, but we won't change our action. Repentance, true godly repentance is when all three things go together. Mind, heart, hands. And Jesus is saying, repent. Turn. 180 from this thing. Get back to the Word of God. Because notice what will happen if you don't. Look at the rest of the verse with me. He says, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. I read, read those words again. He says, if, if you don't repent... I'm telling you guys to turn. I'm giving you an opportunity to get it right. I'm being patient with you. But there's a point where the patient ends. There's a point where you've crossed a line. He said, if you don't, then I'll come to you soon. And, and I don't believe that I'll come to you soon as a, the second coming at the end of the book of Revelation. This is some providential coming of Jesus to deal with the sin in this church. And he says, I'm going to war against them those that have compromised with the sword of my mouth. What a powerfully sad picture of what Christ has to do. I mean, stop and think about this. This is Jesus warring with the church. This is Jesus coming to discipline those he's died for. This is Jesus who said, no more. You, you have sinned your last time. I've given you a chance to get it right. I've warned you. I've told you. I, I mean, it's kind of like the parent, if you will. Like, I don't want to have to spank you right now. But you leave me no other choice. And this is Christ coming to war with the people who have now compromised the word of God. But church, I want you to be encouraged, though, because Jesus leaves us with encouragement in verse 17. He encourages us with his word. Because when we stay true to his word, when we don't compromise his word, when we follow the word of God in our lives, 
This is what Jesus says the reward is. He says, verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I'll give some of the hidden manna, I'll give a white stone with the new name written on it, so that no one knows except the one who receives it. So Jesus is saying, listen, I, I, I know where you dwell, right? right? You, you're living in a culture, you're living in a time, you're living in a city that's full of idols, you're, you're living in a tough time. Jesus is saying that to you right now. Look, I, I know 2021, man, I mean, it's, it's tough, right? And, and just things are happening in our world that are hard, and it's going to keep getting harder. And, uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's hard. I know where you dwell. But Jesus is saying to you, just like to them, stay on track. Don't compromise. Keep me as the authority in your life. Keep, me, keep the Bible ahead of you. Stay the path, stay the course, because when you do, this is what's going to happen. He says, for those who overcome, all right, the conquerors, the overcomers, we've identified this language in the series as those who are Christians. John will write in 1 John chapter 5, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, who endure to the end. He says, there are two uh, things I'm going to give you, all right? And so John kind of uses two symbols of eternal life here. He shows it to a Jewish audience and to a Greek audience, these two symbols of eternal life. He says, I'm going to give some of you hidden manna, all right? So I'm going to give some of the hidden manna. Manna in the Old Testament is the physical food that God provided to the people of Israel during the wilderness years for their nourishment, for them to be able to live and to survive. Jesus in the New Testament in John chapter 6 says, I am the bread of life. All right, I'm your spiritual nourishment that you need, that, that I need in my life. And so Jesus says, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am nourishing you always if you stay with me. If you stay the course, if you continue to believe, if you don't compromise, I'm going to nourish you through all of that. I am your manna. But then he also uses an, a symbol for eternal life called a white stone. And this is going to connect with the Greek audience that's reading this letter. The white stone, anytime there's like an Olympic game or just kind of a gladiator game in the area, the victor got a white stone and had their name written on it. This was like their pass to the victory hall. This was their pass to the, to the banquet, right? So, hey, there was a time in our world that not everybody got a participation trophy. <gasps> okay whole nother sermon and just thing on that, okay? But anyway, so the victor actually got the prize. Not everybody, all right? So the one who won got a white stone with their name written on it, and then the victory banquet celebration, that was their invite. That was their pass. So Jesus is saying, listen, when you come to faith in me, when you come to Christ, He's that hidden manna for you. He's that spiritual nourishment. You have a white stone with a new name written on it. That's your pass into heaven because it's Christ that has assigned that name to you. I thought about it this way this week. You know, when you have a physical birth, you're given a name, right? When you were born, you didn't decide your name when you were born, right? You were just minutes old. And a doctor or a nurse looked at your parents at one point in that process and said, what do you want to name him? What do you want to name her? And they said, here's the name. 
And they wrote it down, and then on a birth certificate is your name. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're given a new name, a name that Jesus assigns to you. Because now you have a spiritual birth. John chapter 3 says you're born again. So in the spiritual birth, now you have a spiritual birth certificate, if you will. And that is filled out by Jesus. And Jesus says, this is my son. This is my daughter. And now with that spiritual birth certificate in your life, when you breathe your last breath this side of eternity, You've got that spiritual birth certificate, if you will, that is your entrance into heaven because it's Jesus who has saved you and given you a new name. So this morning, do you have that spiritual birth certificate? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? Maybe this morning, maybe that's the step. That's the step you need to take. You need to repent of your sin You need to come to Christ and say, I need you to be the authority in my life. I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my Savior. I I, I want to be in heaven. I don't want to be in hell. I want to be with you forever, Jesus. And maybe that's the decision you need to make today. Maybe today it's it's like the four folks we just baptized. Hey, I I am a believer, but I've never been baptized. I, I need to get that right in my spiritual walk with Jesus. I need to go public with my faith. But maybe just maybe today is some of you that have compromised the Word of God in your life. And you need to repent. You need to come back and say, listen, what I did was wrong, Jesus. And I need to make that right with you. Yeah, I I was thinking about it this way this week on compromise. Because some people may say, hey, a little compromise, that's not that big of a deal, right? I don't know about you, but this this is my personality. If I go on a diet plan... There are some diet plans out there. It's like eat right six days a week, and then you get a cheat day, right? You know what I'm saying? Some of you have done those, right? It's like you you follow this diet strictly for six days, and then, you know, one day a week, you eat whatever you want to eat. You just, you have a cheat day. You just, you go nuts. It's fine. Lee cannot do those type of diets. You know why? A cheat day turns into two cheat days, turns into a cheat week, turns into a cheat month, turns into I've done cheated enough, I'm no longer on the diet anymore. One little decision, one little Big Mac with fries and Dr. Pepper are going to send me down a road where a month later I'm like, I'm so far off of this diet, it's not even funny anymore. Compromising God's word is going to put you in opposition with him. Because here's the thing about compromise. Compromising God's word, it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. It's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. And it's going to take you farther than you want to go. Now, you you might just say, all right, well, how do I know if I've compromised God's word? And I think that's a great question to end on. So so here it is. How do I know if I've compromised the word of God in my life? How how would you know that? Here, just, just do this little test with me. Is there a sin that I once rejected in my life that now I tolerate? Is there a sin that I once rejected and said, man, that's sin that now I tolerate? Is there a sin that you once rejected in your life 
that now you tolerate that has led you to embracing. All right, so here's how you know if you've compromised God's word in your life. Is there something you used to say that was against God's word, and that's a sin, that you've now tolerated that has led you to embrace and practice? If you this morning say, that's me, then there's good news, there's hope, there's encouragement. There's a man by the name of Jesus that says, repent, turn from that, and come right back to me, and let's get it right. I want to invite you to bow just right where you are in prayer. Father, I thank you that, Lord, you are one. When we come to Christ as our Savior, you're not only Savior, but you're Lord, you're boss, you're in control. And even though we have bad earthly bosses in our times, we have bad leaders in our time, that, Father, you are the perfect boss. You are the perfect leader. You are the perfect God. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are at home listening to my voice this morning, those that are in this room, I pray for every man, woman, child, teenager, that we not be a people that compromise the word of God, that we not be a people who try to bend the word of God to the cultural norm of the day. Remind us it's okay to be different. Remind us it's okay to take a stand for truth. And Father, for those of us today that have once said, yeah, that was sin, that now are caught in practice of what they once rejected, that they've now embraced, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that they'll turn from that. They'll come back to you. They'll come back to your word. Lord, we pray for those that need Jesus today, whether they're in their home, they're in this place, no matter their age. Father, I pray that they'll come to know Christ and Christ alone is their Savior because it is Jesus who has conquered the grave on our behalf. It is Jesus that saves us from our sin to help us to live the righteous life you want us to. So, Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way you work. Thank you that you are holding us fast no matter our circumstances today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm